Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I am pumped about our topic. We're going to be diving into a few things we really haven't gotten into on the show before. We're going to be talking about YouTube organic traffic. We're going to be talking about several varieties of free traffic. And we're going to be talking to a guy that sells vintage watches. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. And we are thrilled to underwrite this program and bring some amazing guests to you. I have a question for you. How is your YouTube game? Are you using YouTube to help scale your e-commerce business? Hopefully, you're using YouTube both as a remarketing vehicle and also for top of funnel growth. However, if you're like most e-commerce companies, then you're probably not fully leveraging YouTube. So I have two free resources for you. The first is a two-minute crash course on YouTube ads. I recorded this with the famous Ezra Firestone. So you can check that out by looking at the links in the show notes to this show. You can also Google Smart Marketer and two-minute crash course, and you'll find the resource there. Also, we recorded a 90-minute webinar outlining exactly how we scale with YouTube. We talk about keys to a great YouTube ad. We talk about audience targeting. We talk about bidding, optimization, and much, much more. So I highly, highly recommend you check it out. You can also find that linked here in the show notes. It's also at the bottom of the two-minute crash course page. So check them out and start scaling with YouTube. And now, back to the show. Today on the show with me is the founder and director of theoandharris.com. Christian Zerone and uh, learned about him online, kind of saw the story, saw what he was doing on YouTube and thought, man, this would be a perfect fit for the show. And so with that, Christian, welcome to the show, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Really excited. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to dig into a lot of cool things. You're, you're, you're blowing it up on YouTube. You're generating all kinds of free traffic to your site. But I'm curious, why the vintage watch industry? How, how did you, and why online? Like, how, how did this all come about? I started my business in college. Um, at that point, I think I was a sophomore, I was like 19. I, I hadn't really had any success, you know, working. A couple of my friends had jobs. I didn't internships. I was on the lazier side. Um, and I think that by that time I realized, you know, I probably should give something a shot that I actually enjoy. It doesn't seem like I'm doing too well in environments that I'm being forced into. So uh, I, I, I said, you know what? What am I reading about? What am I spending my time on? And the answer was very simple. It was, it was watches. Right? It was, it was the, the, the subject that I would look at in boring classes. It was the subject I would read about when my homework was done. It was, it was just constant. Right? Um, so so when, I, when, I, when I did embark on, on starting this kind of journey, I thought this, this is the only thing I can do. And, uh, and that's really how it began, just an innocent little passion. Interesting. And so were you, did you grow up around watches? You know, one of your parents a jeweler or something like that? Or you just... No, no. I'm, you know, my dad had a Rolex. Um, it was a really big deal to him when he got it. Uh, it was his 40th birthday. It made him really emotional. So I recognized at that point, um, and I guess I was, it was pretty much so a kid. I was like, was like 10. I realized that, oh, watches can be cool. But it was not a centerpiece of conversation in my family. My grandpa like never wore a watch. He had an old Omega, but really, you know, they existed, but nothing significant. Um, I, I'm really, in many ways, a product of, of, uh, of John Mayer's obsession with watches. 
Um, not so directly. I, I had been into watches before John Mayer, um, but John Mayer, you know, basically a couple of years ago, I guess four or five years ago now, um, said publicly, I'm a watch geek. I like Rolex. I like Patek Philippe. They're really, really cool. And let me tell you some stories. And I remember just feeling kind of legitimized. I was like, whoa, this isn't such a weird thing. Like John Mayer does it. Cool enough like, for John Mayer. It's great. Cool like for me. I can talk about it now, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what really started the, the big, big ball rolling. Awesome. So when did you, so, so you, you realize, hey, this is a passion of mine. I want to do something that, that interests me. So you're spending your free time reading about watches. When did you realize you had a business? Because I think there's a lot of people that, that have something that really fascinates them. They can never really translate it to a business. When did you know, aha, I can make money with this? You know what? Uh, it took a long time. I mean, I, I the, the day I started the company, I knew that it could one day be profitable. I knew that the the functions of the business weren't that difficult um, because I saw that other people were doing it, and I saw that those people didn't really seem to be any more intelligent than I was. They were fairly average guys that you know just sold watches. So I was confident that it could happen. Uh, that being said. The company didn't really become profitable. We never, we were never in debt. We never, never lost money. But awesome. The company was not profitable enough to sustain anyone's life for you know like a year and a half. Uh, so it, you know, it, it definitely took a minute. Yeah, right on. And and so um, uh, talk about then you know vintage watches. What what does that mean? So so talk to people about what are the watches? How do you get them? What, what's what's kind of the selection like on the site? The, the biggest the biggest brands in the vintage watch world and a world that's only blown up really significantly in the last three or four years. Um, Rolex is obviously a big one. Vintage Rolex are actually significantly more expensive in many cases than modern Rolex watches. Um, I was there when a vintage Rolex watch sold for eighteen million dollars. Holy cow! Kind of, yeah, it's, it's obscene. Um, we see them go for hundreds of thousands on a regular basis, um, but. Uh, the you know, space that we play in is, is more of the entry level affordable range. Of course, not cheap by any means. These are still very expensive items, you know, uh, anywhere from 2000 to 15000 That's really where our sweet spot is. Uh, we are trying to go up market a little bit, uh, which is a process, um, but that's really where we are. So it's, it's Rolex, it's, it's Patek Philippe, another, another big Swiss brand, um, a lot of Swiss brands, Audemars Piguet is another Swiss brand. Um, these brands, you know, were again, not all that popular outside of very wealthy country club circles until, you know, uh, popular people brought them into the limelight. Um, rappers talk about Audemars Piguet and AP just as often as they talk about uh, Don Perignon. So that was a, a big thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and it is interesting how, you know, John Mayer or, or one of the rappers you mentioned, they, they, they start talking about their watch, you know, showing a video, whatever, it starts to become interesting and, and, and super popular. I've always been fascinated by watches. I'm not a watch geek like John Mayer, but I, but I do love a good timepiece. I think it tells a story. And I think the story of your dad getting a, a Rolex for his 40th birthday and getting kind of emotional about it, that speaks to the power of, of a, you know, a, good, a good timepiece. So before we get into kind of some of these, these marketing topics and YouTube and some of the cool things you're doing, I'm just curious, like for, for you, and, and this may have changed now that you're around watches all the time and you're selling them, your perspective may have shifted a little bit, but for your own watch collection, what 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 are like the dream watches, or what are the watches you have? Like, what what, are, what yeah. do you really like? That's a good question. Um, I, I I made a living out of getting other people their dream watches. And <laughs> yeah. My collection is it's very modest. Um, I have my vintage Rolex from 1977 that I bought um, right before I started the company. That was a really meaningful watch. Still, probably my favorite watch. 
I'm wearing an Omega Seamaster right now that my parents gave me for my 21st birthday, which meant a whole lot. This was kind of, you know, the, the, you know, physical representation of my parents after a little while supporting my decision to pursue this uh, job, uh, you know, forever or, or for the time being. Um, I have a couple other watches. All my watches are ultimately sentimental. Um, I, I, I mean, certain things, their material value is remarkable and I really appreciate them, but they don't feel compelled to buy them. Um, I'm always tempted by a remarkable piece. There are some chronographs, right? like Longin, Zona, Paddock. I mean, but they're thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. So even if you do want to buy it, you say, "Do I really need a fifty thousand dollar Longin? Like that's a lot of money. It's it hurts the brain. You know? It like, does. It does. So you know. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, and I love that. And what's really interesting. So I, you know, back in my young twenties, I didn't understand jewelry. Uh, I still like to watch it, but I didn't understand jewelry uh, that well. So I started working with a jeweler and helping them with their marketing. And I started to see kind of like what you just said, where each of these time pieces has sentimental significance. It marks an important event in your life or something like that. It's kind of the way jewelry is as a whole. Like, and that's why people value it so much. And it can also be passed down generations. And, and look, at, look at the, the gold Rolex, right? This is a cultural icon. I mean, every, I mean, every world leader nearly has worn one. The Dalai Lama has a gold Rolex, for God's sake. I mean, it's, in, it's insane. Um, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, he puts the yep, gold yep, Rolex yep. on the guy's face and says, I, you know, this watch... Co- coffee is for gold. closers. It was in that... Coffee is for closers. I mean, you know, it was... I, I've always said, like, that watch is, is the greener grass, right? Like, no one has that watch. Only a rich neighbor does. Right, that it's it. Like it's the thing when you when you see it, even if you don't care about watches, it's yep. just like, yep. like how did he even buy that? Like yep. he must yep. be successful. So it's kind of, and there are more expensive watches, but no watch has kind of just uh, assumed and owned that identity as as well as that watch, which is marketing. Yep, it, it totally is. It totally is. Um, awesome. We'll, we'll we'll dig in more about your selection. We'll we'll talk about the site uh, in a little bit. I want to talk about YouTube, and I think it's becoming obvious for those that are listening and or watching that a Christian can tell a good story, and he's passionate about this. And so, so obviously, you're going to be great on camera and, and create some some great videos. But you've got sixty thousand subscribers on YouTube, or probably growing that maybe an old stat, but you get a lot of subscribers on YouTube. Some of your uh, videos have generated a lot of sales and, and tons of views. How do you how do you go about creating these videos, and and what do you think it is about them that makes them so successful? At the end of the day, I mean, honesty is, is so big, and, and and it's not just not lying; it's it's showing everything, um, and not just about the watches. But I'm so transparent on on YouTube. I mean, I've I've just made fun of myself and disclosed things that most people wouldn't. You know, I've I've had personal kind of real um, conversations with my father on YouTube over over wine and watches that people just say, "Wow, that's me and my dad," or "Wow, I wish I had a relationship like that." I mean, it's it's all it all comes down at least at least for us um, and, and the way that we use YouTube. Um, it's an opportunity every day to develop a personal connection. Right? It's it's you know, through education and entertainment we're able to you know develop this actual relationship with people. Um, when, when I meet a fan, it's not like, hey, thanks so much for, for teaching me about that. That always comes up. I'm, I'm sure I've taught all these people some things, but they, you know, they feel like we're friends. They feel like we're family members. And that is what has allowed them to trust me with incredible amounts of money. 
Um, otherwise, it's just like, oh, okay, he knows a lot. Right. Good for him. I don't so, care. So you talked about the blending of education and, and entertainment, and I think that uh, really kind of sums up how to make great videos or great content in general. How do you approach that? How do you kind of find that blend of are we entertaining and are we also educational? Because you're right. If you were purely educational, there wouldn't be that emotional connection and people wouldn't be right. excited to see you on the streets and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so, so how do you blend the two? It's very tough. And we've done it wrong a thousand times. And maybe we've only done it right a handful of times. Um, now, I think that we've found out, figured out a way to really you know, uh, uh, marry the two on a more regular basis, but it's a push, it's a push and pull or whatever. Um, I can't tell you how many times that we've over-educated or over-entertained. You leave a video where it's over-educated and people are bored. You leave a video where it's over-entertained and they say, I'm sorry, was that just a four minute joke? I don't get <laughs> yeah. it. I watch it. What was the purpose you know? here? Yeah. And yeah. that sucks. And, 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 you know, you get excited about the video and then it's released and you get those first three comments and they're like, Hey, cool video. But like, what was that? And I'm like, oh, geez, they're right. They, you know, they're right. You know, they, that video was basically useless. That video did not serve our, our audience. That video just served us. So, you know, it, it happens. It happens. Um, but we also produce three videos a week. So you're bound to fail. And you have to be okay with it. It sucks when you, when you do it. When you release a video that you know was wrong, it's, it, it sucks. But it's got to move on. Like, you, you just... We produce, you know, it's just too much. You can't dwell on, on, on a small mistake. 100% agree. And I love the fact that the one you're creating three videos a week, that, that is powerful. And I want to talk to you about kind of how you get your ideas and how you do it. We'll get into that in a minute. But I, I think you, you touched on something really important. I think some people are so afraid of failure. They're so afraid of, what if I release this video and people don't like it? Or it doesn't yeah. get very many views or very many likes or, you know, then I'm going to look... I'm going to look like, I don't know, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing or whatever. Yeah. You seem like you quickly get past that and say, hey, we're going to yeah. come at this video with an idea. But if it fails, we're going to learn from it. We're going to iterate. We're just going to go and create the next video. I don't even know where to begin with that. It's, it's such a large conversation. It's such a big question. And it starts off with people's fear to create, period, because of yeah. a, a fear of lack of response. And you know what? For a year, maybe more, we got 600 views of video, four to 900 views of video. Okay. And you want to be jealous now. Well, that's very easy. Okay. But you, you, know, you didn't go through that. You weren't basically shamed on the internet for a year and a half for producing <laughs> videos that no one really liked and videos that were really embarrassing. It is what it is. Like it wasn't going to be great. It just wasn't. You don't know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. Of course it's mediocre, you know? And I look back on some of these videos and some of them are particularly cringeworthy and that hurt. But even the good videos were pretty, pretty, in the grand scheme, bad, right? But it didn't matter. You kept building, you kept building, and you found a fan, you found a fan, you found a fan. And now we'll find 10 fans in the video. You know, we'll create relationships with 10 people. But at the time, it was maybe half of a person every week. You know, and there was one point where we were producing six videos a week when we were in college. So I just, I get it. I, the internet's a nasty place, a mean place, particularly YouTube. And I get that it sucks if you release a video that you took time to produce and someone craps all over it. I get it. And you know what? That person's probably an ass. Yep. Probably are. Exactly. Too bad. Yeah. What are you going to let some stranger ruin your life? Right, right. Just got to get past it. Just got to get past it. I think really with, with, with some of the, uh, with other areas of business, that's the same way. You got to fail and, 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 and keep trying and learn from your failures. Just ignore it. I would compare it kind of to, to public speaking. And, and I 
had the privilege of getting to speak at events pretty regularly and I really enjoy it and it's good for our business and all those things. But it's kind of the same. Like the first couple speeches you give, they're probably going to suck. And, and you have to be willing or at least be average, whatever. Uh, you have to be willing to do that and kind of keep going because the, the payoff in the end is massive now because now you, you have amazing amounts of traffic and amazing amounts of views and you're not paying for it, which is amazing. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about then how do you, how do you get the idea for those three videos a week? Um, and why did you kind of land on that frequency? Just curious. It's changed. I mean, the frequency is, is just simple. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it seems like it's, it's well-balanced. Uh, we're actually adding a new series for Saturdays now, but that'll probably be developed over the course of the next month or two. Um, but uh, it's just, it's just well-balanced. You know, it keeps the cadence of a week. Um, that being said, we've gone from, we've done one video a week at the beginning, and we scaled up to six, and now we're down to three. So we're right back in the middle, you know. Actually, yeah, we were, yeah, we were at six. It was crazy. It was, that, that was hard. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, that, that's how we, how we basically decided frequency. It's, okay, what's the max amount of videos that we can produce and still be proud of at the same time? Um, and even that said, we're three years into YouTube, and still some of the videos that we'll make, I'm like, nah, shit. And especially... You know, we, so we, we, we diversified from, from just retail into retail and media in, um, in February. So we said, okay, we're going to uh, monetize our audience, right? We're going to start selling our, either it's endorsement, but it's never disingenuously, but saying, okay, I just wouldn't talk about it otherwise. I like what you have, but I won't talk about it unless you pay, you know, um, or, uh, or other, other things as well. So um, the problem, even with that, is Although, yeah, you've been doing YouTube for three years. You've never done it like this before. Like, you don't know how this works. So we failed miserably. You know, it, it, you know it, did it work? Yes. Did, you know, did it work for the brands? Yes. Did it work for, you know, us and our bottom line? Yes. But ultimately, one of the oranges has to drop in the, you know, in the juggle. And, uh, and viewership drops. You know, and very simply, and, and it made sense. You know, we've worked now to the point where we're having infrastructure that we're going to bounce right back, and we are bouncing right back already. But it's the truth. Whenever you do something new in YouTube, you're, it's just going to fail. Like it, it, it just is. So uh, our first attempt at monetization was, you know, was a bit of a uh, existential disaster. <clears throat> but uh, and we're kind of good at this. But uh, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and really appreciate you sharing that. that. That's awesome. You know, you kind of look for, Hey, this, this might make sense as the next evolution of our business and how we monetize this specific side of our business. And then it might not go well. Like you, you, I think you probably made all the sense in the world for you guys to do that. It did not work. Now you're pivoting and, and you're, you're going you back. You do it differently, you know, and you see all your mistakes in retrospect, but too bad, you know, yep. it, it is. Yeah. So, so then how do you, how do you get the idea for the next video? Is it just, um, you're looking for, you, you hear a topic from a customer or someone says something on Facebook and you think, oh, that's going to be a great video or, or how does that yeah. process work? I see stuff on Instagram all the time that I want to talk about. I see stuff on, on YouTube sometimes, you know, Facebook, things like that. Just concepts that, that we can just come up with and think about maybe in the shower, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right yeah. now, we're doing a lot of uh, reviews of new watches. We just recorded a bunch yesterday. So we're going to be, um, you know, producing content around, again, educating and entertaining on new, new important releases, you know, things that we don't sell, um, but things that people want to see and people want to hear about, uh, very expensive items, many of them. So maybe they're a little bit unattainable, but it's still fun to look at, you yeah. know? Yeah. Most of this is, it's, it's just, most of our viewers, uh, while, and, and while we have a very valuable viewer base because they are educated, more high net worth individuals that will spend money on watches and that's a great thing. 
still, there are thousands of people out there that are just watching this for fun. You know, when I make a video about a $95,000, you know, paddock, I'm not an eligible client trying to find that dollar paddock. And there are a bunch of other guys like me out there that aren't. You know, but but they love to watch. The, they love they to love see it. the content. They're yeah. engaged. Absolutely, they might be in the market for eighteen thousand dollar paddock. You yep. know, and and, yep. and now we have something going. Yep, and, and you're also and I'm just, we got your YouTube channel up. You're also talking about watch brands that are that are kind of making a splash, like the like the direct to consumer movement watches. And, and yeah. now I'm seeing the the title of this video. I got to watch it once we're done. But uh, the the title is why Timex is always better than movement. Yeah, than MVMT, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it's, uh, there's a lot going on in the watch industry. There's been tremendous wealth created in, in the movement kind of category. Um, no doubt. Purchased by, by Movado Group for a couple hundred million dollars, which is amazing. But uh, yeah, there's, it's, a, it's a very shifting business. And really, it's only just beginning now. It's only just opening up because there's, there's so much more coming with, uh, uh, with, with the vintage market. There's so, the, 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 the modern market is becoming almost impossible to navigate. Um, brands are kind of holding back their production. And the gray market, the secondhand market on a watch is, you know, is significantly more expensive you know, than, than retail. If you're lucky enough to buy a Rolex Daytona at retail for $13,000, you can sell it tomorrow for 19 to 21. That's a big wow. problem. Wow. The first crazy. time it's ever happened in Rolex. Huh. Um, so I want to talk, I want to kind of translate this for, you know, other e-commerce store owners. So, so say I, I sell footwear or, or some type of apparel or something. How, how would I go about creating a YouTube channel that, that's even, you know, partially as successful as yours? How, how would I, what kind of topics would you suggest? What kind of tips would you give? Like how, how would I get started? It's a good question. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're going to, uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, let's say you own a shoe company, let's say you, you, you manufacture dress shoes for a living, you know, you can, you can either do two things. One, create your own content where you're, again, educational, you're learning about shoes, different shoe companies. Don't say oh, it was only your shoes. You can discuss Olden, you can discuss Allen Edmonds, you can discuss Ferragamo and Gucci and have your own opinions, become an authority on the matter. And of course, Right back to my company, you know, whatever it is. You just redirect people's attention, you know, after you've offered them the value, right back to your shop, right back to your other educational platforms. Um, but if that's not you, if you're not a character in front of the camera, that's perfectly fine. Um, what I do suggest then is you partner with people that are, you know, and not to create content for you, but, you know, you call up, you know, a, a known YouTuber in the menswear space and you say, hey, I'd love to work together. Don't pitch me. This is what I, this is my idea. I'd love to, you know, put together X, Y, and Z. Can we do it together? And, and if so, this is what I'll pay, yada, yada, yada. Control that conversation. Um, but it's, it's totally doable. You don't need to actually be producing. You need to be involved in content. And of course, your right hook needs to be present. Otherwise, it's a waste of money and time. But, you know, nonetheless, you, obviously, you're noticing using the word right hook. You know, the whole Gary Vee thing. Gary Vee, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Student, you know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, so Gary Vee's principle, for those that don't know, it's jab, 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 right hook. The jab, jab, jab is free content. I'm just entertaining. I'm educating. I'm giving you value. And then there's an ask that's, which is the right hook to ask for which is something. What we've built the entire business on. Yeah. Which you even said this, and I think this is interesting. And I think this applies to most of our business as well. You said you review watches that you don't sell, like, like the, that Timex and movement video right. that was, I'm sure yeah. you got a ton of views. You don't sell those watches, but no. that was interesting. And you wanted to, to provide a, 
you know, get your conversation uh, or your perspective on that conversation out there. In that space, 100%. Most of our content at this point in the company is not relevant to the watches we sell. Most of it. Interesting. Um, and then, so, so then how do you, how do you work in the right hook? Again, to use Gary V's vernacular, how, how do you work in the ask into your videos? Are you doing that just on occasion or, or how do you? No, we do it in, in basically in every video to different, you know, to varying levels of, of, you know, strength. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's always fairly small, you know, it's just a reminder, you know, one of the, one of the tactics that I use, I think is quite effective. Let's say I'm going to do a review of the hottest watch in the market that I don't sell. Um, and, and I know it's going to get a ton of views, or I'm going to talk about MVMT. I open up the video with what's on my wrist. You know, and I say, oh, I'm wearing a Rolex Day Transfer from 1601, 1967. Um, take a look at it. And they just show B-roll for four seconds. It is, of course, available in the Theo and Harris watch shop. Head on over when it's all over. You know, and then, okay, now let's get into movement. And that's it. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to clients like, wow, I didn't even know you had it until I saw it on YouTube. And yeah. I'm like, there you go. It took, it, it's a six second sale. It's just, just yeah. mentioning a very much soft sale. People are building 100%. their relationship with you. They trust you. Right. All you have to do is show it and talk about what, what's there. That's great. Right. Right. Uh, so a comment was made kind of as we were, as we were prepping for the show and then kind of passing information back and forth and stuff. But you said that selling a $10,000 watch is easier than selling a $300 watch. Explain, please. Yeah. Obviously, there are fewer potential buyers or qualified buyers for a $10,000 watch than a $300 watch. But yeah. nine times out of 10, if you pick you know, a $300 watch and a $10,000 watch, the $10,000 watch, as you would imagine, has more going for it. It just does. It's ten thousand dollars. There's so much, you know, whatever it is. Let's say it's a, a vintage Rolex. There is so much, you know, historical, you know, kind of like uh, uh, there's a large historical poem I can give you over a drink about why this is an important watch and why you should buy it. And and everyone grew up tempted there's by a Rolex. major story. There's 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 a big story. Yeah. Whereas with a three hundred dollar watch, the line basically is, you know, how cool is that? And that's great. And, and that can work. And then many people will say, you know what? You're right. Take my $300. Here's the watch. But at the end of the day, um, as far as scale is concerned, much older, well, fewer people are, are, are qualified to buy a $10,000 watch. Many more people want the $10,000 watch than the $300 watch. It's all about story. Interesting. Interesting. Are you seeing any shifts in the, in the watch industry? Uh, I hear people talk about kind of the, the bifurcation of, of the uh, U.S. buyer where you've got kind of the convenience buyer or, or the high-end affluent buyer and then the, the value buyer that's, that's more about price and discount and things like that. And then kind of stuff in the middle, stuff in the middle is, is, is hurting a little bit. That's why your Sears and JCPenney and those, those stores are not really convenient. They're not really valued. It's kind of stuck in the middle are not doing well. Are you seeing something similar with watches or, or not so much? No, definitely. Um, you know, there's there are always the clients that will pay top dollar for convenience and for experience. Um, I know people that you know while they could go get a you know whatever watch um, for ten percent off or fifteen percent off, they have to buy it online and it doesn't feel good. That's not fun. And they want to go into a store. And they want a glass of champagne and they want to you know talk to the salespeople. And and that's just fine. There's something to be said about that. You know, depending on the price point, depending on the premium and how much you want to spend. I get it. It's a fun way to spend the afternoon, you know. Uh, but that said, in watches, uh, there's a huge—they call it the gray market—of of, of dealers that, um, that that sell basically new watches, genuine watches, oftentimes, most of the time, and uh, they're just they're just cheaper, right? They're they're acquiring them cheaper. They're not getting from, they're not getting them from the manufacturer. They're buying them on sale and they're selling them in mass. 
There are businesses, $100 million businesses that are based on that. Not my thing. Not my thing. Um, I've never tried to find the, the value buyer. I've never tried to find the buyer that wants it the cheapest. I like to find the buyer that, um, you know, is just more interested in ever. I can, I can never offer watches at the cheapest way. Look at all the content we produce. Like it's not free. I, there's no way I could afford to offer the best price on the market. It's just not the case. And right. once every once in a while, when a client comes to me and says, Hey Christian, like I love the, I love the Samaritan you have the Rolex it's 9,000, but I can, you know, it's 9,800, but I can get it for 9,000 elsewhere. You know, I, I'll, I'll say flat out, listen, I can do 94. Like I can do that. Yep. But beyond that, I just can't. And yeah. you found it elsewhere. Then and you think it's just as good and it's genuine and it's all legit, I encourage you to buy it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Why waste the 400 bucks? I'm not going right. to fight with you. Right. You know, like right. I, want you to, I want you to have what you want. But um, no, finding the value buyer, the race to the bottom, not my game. Yep, not very sustainable. Not sustainable for many if your name's not Walmart or potentially right. a few others. Not right. going to work for you uh, almost right. certainly. And, and I love that approach, that honest approach of saying, Hey, I can do this. If you can find it cheaper, that's great, especially in your in your line of work. And I bet you there's a lot of people that say, eh, I'd just rather buy it from you anyway. Right. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yep. You know, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just do it. I'm like, okay, yep. cool. Done. <laughs> you know, I you know I'm not lying to you. I really can't go lower. So if that's cool with you, then that's cool with me. Yep. And yep. I made so many great friends that way. I mean, I have a client that, you know, one time uh shot me a message. I was having a drink on like a on a Sunday night, my dad or something. She goes, hey, I'd really like a universe. This watch is a universal Geneve. And I said, okay, yeah. He goes, no, 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 but I need it like this week. I was like, okay, I guess I can do that. <laughs> That's not going to be easy. He goes, no, 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 no worries. He goes, do you think you can get it by Thursday? And I said, I can genuinely try. Yep. He said, well, if you can get it by Thursday, I'll get you a ticket, a plane ticket or a train ticket down to DC. You come down, you deliver it, stay the night. Well, you know, we'll have dinner, we'll have a blast, and go home on Friday morning. And I was like, now this is like, like that is it. That is an experienced buyer. Yeah. That is someone that does not care for the two hundred and fifty dollars he can save elsewhere. He right. wants to have fun, and he wants community, and he wants to, you know. And of course, I mean, you know, that is not the cheapest service. It's just not. Yeah, yeah he's not, not expecting that, and, and doesn't want that. Not asking for that. Right. He wants you to get it within that time frame, and then he's going to reward you handsomely for it. And also those kind of buyers are usually the ones that, that give referrals and say, exactly right. It's all of their buddies. Dude, you got to talk to Christian. Like he'll yeah. takes care of it. You know, that's awesome. Um, so uh, you'd mentioned you get 1.8 monthly page views with 100% free traffic. Now I love this. And, and, and full disclosure, I know the audience knows this, uh, uh, I'm a paid traffic guy. That's mostly what we do. We we do help companies with SEO. But at the end of the day, I I, I like traffic that converts. I like traffic that, that builds a business. So when you get that through free, paid combination, awesome. Who cares? How do you exactly? How do you get 1.8 million uh, free page views a month? Yeah, when I say free, I mean it costs me a fortune. I just don't That's pay search engines, right? Like I pay a webmaster a salary, I pay Anna salary, I pay, you know, I have a writer on staff that I pay salary. So it, it's certainly not. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're busting, you're busting your tail, creating these awesome exactly. videos, we like all a, that. We have a lot of people. I mean, the way that I kind of always say is, you know, even when I pitch a marketing uh, a marketing client, you know, someone wants to do a partnership now. By the way, which we figured out at this point, the marketing is you know, is, is rock solid. Um, but a month ago, it wasn't. 
So uh, what I basically say is you could do this on your own. You can. Like, best of luck. But it's going to take you a year to build, and there's no guarantee you're going to build it right. And you're going to, you're going to miss the year. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, so if you just pay us, we'll just start tomorrow. And it's the truth, right? Like, we build the infrastructure. We've already paid all these people. We've already built so much of this, you know, digital presence up. I've been on a hundred podcasts. You know, we've been written, written a thousand articles. So by no means is it free. We just created our own content and, and distributed it to our social media channels. Um, it's probably smarter to buy, um, you know, traffic in many instances. It's quicker. If I had more money when I started, I probably would have done it. I just had no money. I started the business with $10,000 and watches cost $10,000. So I, I barely had enough money for a, for a single salary. You know, I mean... Yep. yep. Uh, I love it. Yeah, you, you leveraged what you had. You had the ability to create great videos. You had the time to create great videos. And then that's what you did. And so so let's talk a little bit about... Uh, I apologize. I, I don't know what's going on in my building. Uh, some drilling. It sounds like I'm in someone's mouth while the dentist is drilling a tooth. I'm not sure how much that's being picked up on audio, but I can't, uh, I can't fix it at this point. But... Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the so the media side of things. So so what are you what are you doing there? Sounds like you're you're helping other companies by leveraging your network and your audience and stuff like that. Yeah, the the, the, the trick is, the trick is uh, when I say the trick, I mean you know the, the way to do it where literally everyone wins. The audience wins completely. We win completely, and they win completely. Um, is not I mean. Not spinning any. There's no no spinning. It's it's not it's not forcing conversation around a topic. It's creating content around the thing that everyone already wants to talk about. In in the the, the prior times that that we had that we had uh, uh, sold ads, at no point you know was it was an opinion sold. At the end of the day, just the topic itself wasn't of great interest to our audience. You know, they're like, oh, this is a cool video. This is good. Thank you for it. It wasn't. Thank you. I've been waiting for this video. I've been waiting to see these photos of this watch. Like, oh, how cool is that? You know? So now that we're able to, and we'll be launching this in the next two weeks, that we're able to create content that people have been waiting for. They salivate over, you know? And, and every, every, literally everyone in the situation wins. That's the, that's the dream. That's the dream of the ad business. And that's what we have dreamt about for two or three years. Um, and it, yeah, it finally starts to work out. It, Everyone has to win. And it's such a cliche, but it's the truth because, you know, if it's, if it's just you and it's just your advertiser, then the audience, even if they're not being, everyone thinks, oh, you're being lied to. That's why they're losing. Not the case. No one's being lied to, you know, at least on our channel. They just don't want to hear about it. Like, they're just... Make, makes sense. Yeah. So, and, and we're, we're kind of coming up against time, just a, a few minutes left, but, but who are you, who are you partnering with on the, the media side? Who are you looking for? How do you find that, that, that piece of content that someone yeah. says, oh, I've been waiting to hear about that. You, you just need to have access to the biggest watches in the business. So whether that means partnering directly with Rolex, which we're not, um, or partnering directly with any major brands or partnering directly with authorized dealers that, um, that uh, own and distribute these major brands. Uh, right now, we're, you know, we're in the middle of a deal with, uh, with a major jewelry store, major authorized dealer, one of the biggest in the country. Um, they're, they're amazing. They absolutely understand the value of, uh, of digital uh, communication. They just have not done it yet, really. Not done it right, at least. So, you know, they're, they're taking a shot now. And I know that, you know, out of all the people in this space that, that they're going to do it, we're going to do it for them right. You know, uh, you, you know, the way I kind of like explain the landscape in our business is the next level up. Um, is, is a company, it's called Hodinkee. And they're not only 
four, five, six, seven, eight times what we charge. Um, but but the content, while incredible in and of its own right, is different, right? It's much more, you know, although it's not journalism, it's much more journalistic. We have a little bit more fun. We're just a little bit more exciting. And sometimes we're drunk and we're hanging out. We're talking about watches or scotch. And it, it just people enjoy it. You know, it's an entertainment thing. So, yeah, I'll definitely lose the following of some of the, you know, more conservative types, more of the people that, you know, really just want to read about watches. Um, but we, we, we make up in kind of getting the attention of the next generation, the younger people, the people that are at college in their dorm room, like, oh, that is so cool. Or the, or the 30-year-olds that don't want to, like, read the Wall Street Journal of watches. You know, they want to have fun. You know, so we're just a different, we're a different delivery and, and, and that's, it just don't happen that way, but I'm really proud of it. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. And it's, it's also exciting to see how you're evolving your business. You know, it started with, with, with videos and then selling some watches and then that blew up and now, and now you're kind of becoming a media company. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it, it's very hard, I think, to, you know, create just one successful branch that, that you know, and, and say that you, you know, exercise all opportunities. I, you know, I try to try to make it as full circle as, as I can. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Christian, this has been a blast. Uh, I can't wait to go watch some of these videos now and also prove aside. But how can people, how can people find you and learn more about Theo and Harris? Two, two ways. If you're interested in vintage watches, head on over to the Theo and Harris Watch Lab, very simply. And if you're not so interested in watches, if you're more interested in uh, the industry and, and, for example, what it's like to go down to D.C. with a bag and come back with half a million dollars in watches that I don't have to sell, uh, you can head over to the link in the description to this video. It's stuff like that. It's, 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 a, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Very exciting. Even if watches aren't your thing. Awesome. Christian, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks so much. All right. Awesome. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Uh, do head on over to theoandharris.com. Check Christian out on YouTube as well. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.